Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Today, we are going to be talking about A Clockwork Orange, which is Anthony Burgess's 1962 dystopian novel about the kids these days and their sharp duds and their sharp knives. So (laughs) I'm going to not say Anthony Burgess because even though that's what English people would say. That's not what we say in the United States of A. You know what? English people never change their pronunciation for (laughs) other uh, other (laughs) languages, so let's do it. I Well, I was watching some cooking show where they said shallots, and I was like, I'm fucking done with the English. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, the worst one I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Fillet of beef is not great, but anyway. Oh, you uh, mean like an an every an a buffet that everyone eats from? <laughs> well, my grandmother from Oklahoma is fancier than that. She said buffet. <laughs> that is fa- I think they're both you know what? Far be for me to decide who's fancier. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to read a clockwork orange because um so I've actually read it a couple times, but it not in like twenty years. And I will be the first to admit that I really loved it in high school. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, like, I think a part of that comes down to my being a complete whore for, like, language play. I'm very into, like, weird <laughs> 1960s shit that nobody <laughs> cares about anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. I mean, it's fine. It's like a nerd thing to be into, but it's a little embarrassing, I mean, it's, but also, I mean, it's, you know, it was a bit like lots of people still like the fucking Kubrick movie. So it's not, it's not that weird. Yeah. Know? But the book is a slight, it's like the person yeah. who I was, who was into this and like naked lunch. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Like gotcha. it's kind of <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. I'm still stuck on language play. Like it's a. <laughs> oh, do I have to rip out Derrida for you? <laughs> That's, you, you don't actually, but. It's called Structure, Sign, and Play, and I guess they don't read that in the classes where they teach Jonathan fucking Edwards. Well, it makes me want to do breath play as in strangle myself. (laughs) Oh, welcome to Better Red Than Dead. I'm that guy, and you're gonna stop listening right about now. But I do like the movie. It's good. It has a very mod aesthetic, uh, which I loved as a teenager, although that is a fucked up reason to like a movie. Sorry about that. That was a little bark of happiness. Um, <laughs> uh, she's not into mod stuff, though. And as we all know, I do, for real, actually have an academic interest in subcultures. And this book is sort of famously engaged in the British um, and particularly Mancunian subcultures of the 1960s. But I think we'll talk about this a lot. But like the politics of this are super fucking incoherent. Yeah. There's not going to be a way that we make this we can't square the circle, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I see like little glimmers in here of these like there's this wonderful set of works called Angry Young Man Fictions in the 1950s which are like British novels and plays about working class men in the post-war movement, but those are people who have like good reasons to be angry, like <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like good ones like, or or just reasons rather than some anyway i'll, I'll yeah no <laughs> totally and sometimes it's not even about that it's just about like class conflict which is also a perfectly legitimate yeah thing yes and also like burgess hates leftists and that is a dumb that is a wrong opinion boo we're recording this by the way on election day both so we can avoid the polls for a little while and also 
that's going to make us really turned up about people who don't like leftists. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that like the state function of the police for real is like really interesting in this novel. The cops are incredibly dumb and brutal, but I think all in all, we're going to find ourselves in some weird corners and I'm excited. Yeah, no, um, the, I, we, we, they will be weird um, and it will be fun, <laughs> but I can't it's say. It's a weird book. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird book. Uh, and I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the Kubrick movie, uh, you know, famous, disturbing. And, and I, I mean, it's, it's been, it's also been a long time since that I, I remember thinking that it was, you know, interesting. And I wanted to read the book for a long time, did not know Burgess was a fucking Tory, which would have c- clued me in a, a little bit more what to expect. And, you know, like, but, but like, I mean, I, so yeah, okay. I mean, knowing roughly what it's about, you know, just as activists have moved questions about and challenges to the carceral state to the forefront of national and international discourse, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that'd be good to revisit or read. But that's not what this is. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's not right. what this is. The The middle part is maybe slightly less reactionary than the first and third parts. Um, although there is a nice ACAB moment in the third part. But, you know, the, the book does seem to draw some kind of rough equivalence, as, as Megan was saying, between state violence and individual violence. Um, like it's, it does, I think, suggest that those are connected in some way. But man, I read Burgess's introduction where he's whining about how the U.S. version. Oh, never read what a writer thinks about their own book. (laughs) See, this is where I always say like art historians are like, cool, I got to talk to the artists and literary critics are like, God damn it, I had to talk to the fucking writer. Yeah, and it was a nightmare and they were a dickhead. (laughs) But like, yeah, he's just whining. Like, like, to the the final chapter, it's all this shit about personal morality. And Burgess is like, there comes a time, however, when violence is seen as juvenile and boring it is the repartee of the stupid and ignorant and life is sustained by the grinding opposition of moral entities this is what television news is all about unfortunately there is so much original sin in us all that we find evil rather attractive to devastate is easier and more spectacular than to create just like shut the fuck up like (laughs) just get the fuck out of my face with that shit like this novel does read like paranoia about kids these days from the height of the U.S. 20th century crime wave, and it is well before that. And that's yeah. also like all about anti-working class terror and yes, terror. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it is it is like the most obnoxious form of that. No interest at all in material conditions that lead to violence and social collapse. So not what I was expecting. And, and I guess one thing I do sort of want to talk about to calm myself down a little bit is uh, why the book's reputation is is kind of different than that. And, and maybe that's just because of the movie. But anyway, I am curious why those don't quite match. Yeah, fucking hell. This book took me on a ride. It took me to Wikipedia. It took me here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> Did it take you to the uh-huh. glossary? Because it's helpful. Yeah, that gl- the, the wiki glossary is super helpful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took me to the glossary. Yep, it took took me everywhere. But I did relate to this on a personal level because, you know, it's like, oh, a roving bunch of troublemakers um, it, about town after a few cocktails, and <laughs> they maybe have some cool outfits on involving tights. And they terrorize That's like my my girl over there in Jersey for sure. Yeah. Oh, and do they do they happen to terrorize everyone they meet? Uh, Not within well, my memory. Well, <laughs> nobody told me they are making a new Sex in the City movie. <laughs> oh, and I got to read the book in advance. It's called The Clockwork Orange. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, oh, wow. it is. Oh boy, but yeah, but yes, um. 
you know, in all sincerity, I know that we can all relate to just going out in the town with your boys and doing some just insane milk fueled crime. <laughs> Uh, and and when things get a little too wild, I I I do have a solution for you. It's sort of a cure, and and I don't want to take all the credit for it here because I didn't come up with it. Our old friend Aaron Sorkin did. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, he proposed through a character named Josh Lyman on the West Wing, who had a fictional fan site on that program called lemonlyman.com <laughs> lemon orange citrus connections synergy yeah. mm-hmm. coincidence that's not a good that's name not. no it's well it's not a good writer that's oh you make a good point it's like one step better than k hive <laughs> oh nice uh, oh it's whatever like lemon party yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, we are going. To, yeah, yeah. It's happening. Yes, but but his suggestion was that Tara should be subjected to a clockwork oranging involving home videos of the victims and getting punched in the evenings before they float off to sleepy time land, humming some shit from HMS Pinafore or Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> the point here is that this book is just as deranged as everything I've just said. Because it's liberalism. It's in the water. It's in the food. It's making the kids all have rainbow parties. Use hookup apps. <laughs> so they get catfished. Mm, yeah. Can you just get fucked for making me look up lemon party? I didn't, <laughs> wait, I wait, told you, what did you put in lemonparty.com? I put it into the Google machine. It is the year of our Lord 2020. And this is the first you are hearing of this. I guess yeah. people were protecting me from it. And thank thank you to all the people uh, who are not Katie. Yeah. Megan, Goatsy is not a goat. And I just want <laughs> yes. you to know that. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yes, uh, I know that it may be an impossible task, as impossible as keeping Megan innocent from Lemon Party. Um, (laughs) But I, again, you know, it's a fool's errand, but I am curious to at least talk about the politics of this fucking thing. Just purely for the joy of untangling the bizarreness, like the intro that goes a little something like freedom makes you a free man, man. and all of the classical music and then there's a prison guard who's like mayor pete and he says shit like freedom is the choice to choose which is what makes mankind both man and kind (laughs) yeah it's it's not good it's not good it's not good and i'm not gonna be rehabilitating this book but i'm just gonna be suggesting that the politics are not that they're i don't mean ambiguous in the real way i mean ambiguous like there's there's too many sides. Like there's just too much. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it's like yeah. it's a it's a mess. Is basically what it is. You know, it's it's a, totally a mess. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about what the ultraviolence in this work is doing. We're going to talk about the mash of its politics, and we're going to talk about its language play. So I'm going to do the summary, and uh, well, what's it going to be then, eh? So, like we sometimes do, <laughs> I'm going to give the mini summary for the full summary. Alex and his droogs go around 
a place. I think it's Manchester. Robbing, raping, and killing people. He's jailed, given a short course of this insane version of rehabilitation. Goes back to his community, tries to kill himself, is hospitalized and reverse engineered, and then grows up. Bing, bang, boom. You don't need the last chapter. It's too stupid. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, That's why they sorry, took it out. Bur- sorry, Burgess. Like, yeah, your editors <laughs> were right. Dead, it's fine. Yeah. And before the summary, I'm going to give a tiny bit of background because it's useful. The dialogue here, which is staged as a sort of criminal slang, is an invented language called NADSAT, which is the word for teenager, like in a bastardization of Russian. And it's a blend of Russian, these weird invented portmanteau and cockney rhyming slime. And it basically requires that you read super carefully or have a glossary. There's many of them online. They're highly useful. Okay, but for real, uh, this book is divided into three parts in a way I find kind of interesting, or maybe not. It marks the stages of development and whatever way. More on that later. And Alex and his droogs, Georgie, Dim, and Pete, sit in the Corova Milk Bar, drinking Maloco Plus before their night of ultraviolence. Because their platies are different from the cine, I'll give you the visual. Shut up, both of you. Um, (laughs) They wear black tights with the familiar decorative cup that you'll remember from the movie. Pletchkos that are waisty jackets without lapels, but these very big built-up shoulders. They're also black. Off-white cravats. And the kind of shit kicker boots that you would wear to a punk show at Gilman Street or like with a goodwill taffeta dress or like uh, any number of things that I've definitely never done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and if yeah, and if you if you if the Kubrick movie is like kind of too intense for you, which I mean, yeah, it is very yeah, intense. Yeah. Like, um, and but kind of want to see a representation of that. Uh, Bart Simpson is dressed as Alex in an early Treehouse of Horror episode. So. That is true. It's um, <laughs> it's chilling and also amazing. Yeah, and so that style is kind of like future, like a future dystopian version of mod. I'll talk about subculture stuff in a little bit. So that first night, they rob and kick the shit out of people. They confront a rival gang of droogs before Alex returns to his parents' flat. And there's this like long scene of him listening rapturously to Beethoven. As as one does, right? Yeah, Um, like all the teens. Like like all the teens. Like all the the hoodlums, yes. Yes. What do we call them? We call them uh, hooligans. Yes, hooligans, yes, yes. In the old country. (laughs) <laughs> and oh this is the part that katie i think you didn't even want to talk about which is like the next day he meets these like two 10 year old girls and fills them full of candy and liquor and rapes them and yeah i can't leave it out but i also don't want to spend any time on it yeah it's that's ex- okay extremely fucked up uh and yeah, yeah just ugh. Ugh, really upsetting so later that night, he meets back up with his droogs, who are unhappy that Alex is bossing them around. Once they're out on the street, they get into a fight, and Alex uh, like slashes Dim across the face. Pete says he's bleeding to death, to which Alex responds, One can die but once. Dim died before he was born. That red, red crabby will stop soon. 
that evening, they break into an old woman's house. When she fights back, the Droogs, he now describes them as traitorous, abandon Alex, and he's taken in by the Rozes, the Vani stinking Brachneys. I'm only into this occasionally. <laughs> but a little bit of it, because I enjoy it. Um, if I have to read this much 18th century fiction, I'm going to whip it out. <laughs> right, yeah, but- <laughs> whipped, it, whipped it all the way out. <laughs> oh. <sighs> okay, so like the cops being cops, like beat him half to death. And in the last lines of the first part, we learn that the old woman whose house they'd broken into had, quote, passed on to a better world in one of the city hospitals. And Alex says, I done the lot now and me only 15. And I think we're surprised that he's 15. Yeah, there. Yeah, are. we are. And then, like, I don't know. There's well, you'll get to it. But one of his droogs later is like, "Oh, I'm 20 and an adult now." And it's it's very it's it's weird. Like the the yeah, I like what the fuck this novel is doing with the concept of youth or the teenage is yeah. very weird. I'll just say that there's just a there's yeah. a couple moments where he says someone is middle aged and he says they're 30 or 40 or 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the middle of something the middle of something uh middle of somebody's age i suppose (laughs) yeah so in part two he's sentenced to a term i think it's like 14 years in prison it's long enough that it's like he can't imagine his future while he's in there which is obviously very rough and there's all kinds of violence in the prison he's selected by the quote minister of the interior or the inferior that's good i like that joke (laughs) yeah it's a funny Um, guy you know what shut it (laughs) (laughs) um alex is selected by this guy to be reformed using what's called ludovico's method that's some shady shit immediately right there shady from the beginning oh my brothers (laughs) And so once he completes this reform, he will be released in two weeks. So it's like, who would not do this? I would not do this because when somebody is going to subject you to their method, nothing yeah. good is going <laughs> yeah, to happen. That's, that's, yeah, true. that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, but I mean, the other thing is it's like he is, <laughs> he is so not a psychologized character that he just, you know what I mean? It's like, well, why wouldn't he? Cause he just reacts to shit without any kind of like, like logical right. coherence or any, you know? So anyway, so yeah, he's just reactive. I mean, which is weird for a book that's so fucking invested in the liberal subject. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's also that he's that Burgess can't imagine that somebody who's 15 would have an interiority. No, no. Well, and certainly not a working class hooligan either. Right. Right. Yeah, so. Having never had an interiority himself, he simply cannot imagine. <laughs> oh, he has one. It's just like full of rotten fish and bees <laughs> and bees <laughs> and money. Okay, so he says yes. And then in the morning, he's like punched and kicked into this new white building that is like the classic dystopian. Like, I don't know if 1984 has a big white building. I don't think it does. But Brave New World definitely does. So you know yeah. nothing good is happening there. Yeah. Yeah. And they give, but they give him some new jammies and some lovely twofles, and he's very comfy. They give him some real food and these sketchy ass shots that they say are vitamins. And if you're reading the book, you already know that that's not what they are. <laughs> um, and then they t- the doctor says, like, oh, your recovery is just watching some films. So, like, fine. Yeah. Fine. So he's wheeled to this room full of equipment and, um, 
this is like again even if you haven't seen the movie you've seen the still yeah. where he's like strapped to a chair with his eyes forced open yeah i think i think that still is like all over the place it's it's an it's an iconic sort of uh image from that yeah. era yeah and the movies are like the kind of ultraviolence alex himself has committed so beatings mostly but he feels sick watching them like really nauseous and um the scientist, Dr. Brodsky, tells him it's all imagination. And we sort of either see that or like experience that in that he, when he's removed from this, he recovers his f- health like really fast. So it's really an interesting like shift. Yeah. His health bar goes back to full because that's how <laughs> yep. developed he is as a character. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so he's subjected to 13 more days of this, and the films are like beatings, rapes, Nazis, torture. They're actually not described all that fully, but it's they're revolting stuff. And then they sometimes play his beloved Ludwig von over the films, and so that gives him the same like Pavlovian nausea response to yeah. Beethoven. Yeah, and, and the, I, I, I mean... <sighs> To the extent there is a critique of the state in this, I think that is the one. And they so don't care. Like, basically, they were effectively, uh, you know, making someone ill at the at the sound of, of music or art. And they're just like, oh, wh- whatever. Hey, it, 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 it heightens the response. So, you know, like that kind of just like, I guess, like ca- cavalierness to what it is they're actually like kind of inculcating. I, that is, I think, the, like, that's the closest to like a systemic like state critique. I think this even tries, but I could be wrong. I mean, I think that like the the line I'll read sort of in the next part, which is that their point is that like if we want to reduce crime, this is what works, and it's like yeah, no, no, you're 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 right, and I mean those those are of a piece. Those certainly are of a piece. Okay, so his last day in prison, a bunch of other people uh, are brought in to watch this treatment quote, and at the end, Alex is provoked by this prison guard. He's like pinching his face. Um, and he breaks down offering to lick his boots, which I don't – I actually find that kind of critical in an interesting way. No. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. It like is. that the cops demand that of you. Yeah. I find better politically. Yeah. No, definitely. Right. Definitely. But but then he's like – then he tries to make it into some Christ-like thing where he says, oh, I would have – I would have given him my other cheek to slap. So he he like fuses the sorts of submission that he likes with the kinds that are revolting. And so when you're reading That's it, true. it is it's hard to see what's go you know which what sort of a critique of the state we can make because everything is smushed. Yeah. Yeah, that's I totally agree that everything is like mashed together so you get these moments of like, oh, interesting and then you go like, this is so fucking stupid. Especially like just I t- stop me if I'm moving on too fast, but like the next page, the prison chaplain is concerned that like this is a quote, he ceases to be a wrongdoer, he ceases also to be a creature capable of moral choice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because now and, we're in like this very stupid moralizing. Yeah, no, right. So we, right. So you're right, Megan. I mean, I was totally when I got to that part, I was like, oh, okay, fine. So here's like kind of an interesting like structural critique. But immediately we pull back into like, is man by his nature fallen? I right. don't fuck off, Jesus Christ! Like who fucking cares? <laughs> and then the response to that, the doctor says like, oh, we don't care about that. We just care about cutting crime. And then you're back, and you're like, yeah. oh, that's fucked yeah. up. Like yeah. you're just constantly in this mush 
Yeah. Anyway, and the last line of the section is a conversation between the Minister of the Inferior saying, the point is that it works. And the prison chaplain says, it works all right. God help the lot of us. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Slippery slope. Uh, no, we Always know is. all about those. You know, don't, don't want to find yourself on a slippery slope. No, well, you <laughs> no. know, goes no. right from Obamacare to socialism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Abolish the electoral <laughs> college, and next you'll have anarchy. That's uh, right. Not that anarchy's bad. And no, anarchy's great. That's the other thing. It's like, oh well, I want to be on this. Can we not have both? Time. Can you please? Let's have both. <laughs> Why not both? I want to. I want to litter. I want to live in a good world. I want it all. Yeah, that's right. Okay, part three. Alex is released, and lo and behold, his story is in all the newspapers as the exemplar for reform. I like how in the future, we still read newspapers. <laughs> yeah. Tristan, uh, the you of 15 years ago should have known that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so he tries to move back in with his parents, but they won't take him back because they've rented his room to a border. He's, again, beaten up by the cops, who, of course, are his old pal, Dim, and his old enemy, Billy Boy. And they, like, dump him out in the country, uh, where mm -hmm. he finds refuge with this writer called F. Alexander, who turns out to be a Marxist, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't be rescued by a guy who gives you food and is Marxist, you dum-dums. Yeah. That would be a bad move. Very bad. And so, like, F. Alexander thinks he recognizes our humble narrator, Alex, which is, in fact, the case. So, like, Alex and his droogs in an earlier chapter had raped and murdered this man's wife in a home invasion. But he doesn't, he doesn't suss that immediately. So... F. Alexander, who we now we kind of think of as the other Alex now, and his commie Jew friends <laughs> have designs on Alex. They want to like they say exhibit him. Like that's mm. the words. Yeah. <laughs> At public meetings to show his quote ruined life as a martyr to the cause of liberty. We're not happy with this part. Yeah. We don't love it. I mean It's not know. the best. It, well, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, again, I just like they're like none of these people are characters, you know what? Yeah, I mean? no, that's right. So, yeah. so it's, I mean, and it is like, I mean, I would like, yeah. I mean, the what happened to the that the guy, and I mean, more particularly that guy's wife is horrible. But like, none of these. I mean, you know, the point you always make, Megan, about like word objects. But like, there is no even attempt at like psychologizing any of these people. So anyway, I mean, I think. The only there's some psychologizing with Alex actually, but it has to do with the shit like broad shifts in his mental life and not with psychology, if that makes sense. So it's yeah. like how yeah. he feels about being like rehabilitated and then de rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. We get some of that, sure. but those are like yeah. huge, those are like the broadest possible shifts only to yeah. do with his like lizard brain desires. Yeah, yeah, does that seem right? That seems completely right. And I'll say this too on top of it. We do get those big shifts in F. Alexander and Alex. Oh, true. But yeah. The thing that we get in place of the kind of character development or psychology or whatever, or what I wanted, I guess, wasn't necessarily even that. I can live without that. But what I can't live without 
is some kind of plot consistent. If we don't have characters, we have to have a plot. We we got yeah, right. I yeah. need something to make some sense if yeah. you're telling me you're writing a linear narrative that's <laughs> supposed to convey a message to me. If you're well, not it's supposed to be that, a morality then- play, which is yeah. like the yeah. worst possible answer to and, that question. And like, hey, you don't have to do plot, man. But like, if you say that's what you're doing, like, right? You, know, uh, you can't sort of make a make a run at a plot and then say, "Never mind, I didn't do it good." <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I feel like this could have easily been like a book with all those things. Like, yes, um, this could have been a very good book. That's part of why it makes me mad. Yeah, great. I mean, it's not that terrible. You guys just fucking. I can like things with terrible politics. <laughs> and that's a PSA. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I, don't, mean I, I don't disagree at all with that. I just, yeah. Anyway. You can also think it's bad, and I accept that. <laughs> okay, so they want to exhibit him. And this, of course, like upsets Alex, who thinks, what is to become of me? This is his first moment of any future orientation whatsoever. Um, he doesn't live in that place. And they leave him alone in this apartment, and he jumps out of a high window. But the fall doesn't kill our Alex, and uh, he ends up in the hospital, which is this other event that like we get all this press coverage of, how like the government kills boy or whatever. And then the commies come to visit. They say they're happy he survived because he has, quote, killed those horrible boastful villains' chances of re-election. And they're talking about the like Minister of the Inferior and his like party. Right, right. But Alex is over this, and he tells them that they would have preferred that he died because it would have been even better for you political brechnies. So political there? Mm. Yeah. He also finds in this moment that his hospital rehabilitation from the his prison rehabilitation has been reversed by his hospital rehabilitation, which has restored him to his old impulses he says to the leftists, kick your zoobies and I will. And oh, my brothers, saying that made me feel a malenky bit better, as if all fresh red, red crubby was flowing all through my plot. And of course, his love of Beethoven has been restored too. Thank heaven. Thank goodness for that truly conservative aesthetic take. <laughs> <sighs> um, so this should be the end of the book, but yes. it's not. Because Burgess has to fucking ruin it. It is the end of the movie. Sorry. Yeah. I, we do spoilers for things that are more than 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Stanley Kubrick is better at <laughs> what he's doing. Probably. Uh, this is not Rosemary's Baby where like yeah. Roman Polanski might be a shit shithead of a person. Yeah. But the book is great. And the movie is also great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There. That's actually not a thing that lines up all that often, frankly. Yeah. Usually it's one is good and one is bad. Okay, so he has to ruin it. And in the end, Alex is like sitting in a core of a milk bar. So he's with his new droogs and they're like, oh, we're going to take to the streets and they beat up this old guy. But Alex just watches because he's like tired and old. Of He's 18. And then he runs into his old pal Pete at a coffee shop. And Pete is married and the woman is cute and he doesn't talk in NADSAT anymore. And isn't that cool? (laughs) So he's walking home and Alex has these 
visions of being old and married and having a kid because those are the best things you can do for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, And he says, yes, yes, yes. There it was. Youth must go. Ah, yes. And I'm going to actually go out on the last paragraph of the book because (laughs) I want to. By all means. And if we can read aloud that much of Tristram Shandy, that's, that's how the podcast works but it's good though anyway sorry yeah go ahead no, <laughs> no totally but this is like well there is some is. writing I, here that no, is so it, compelling i will i will admit that i actually also think that the language games are kind of interesting and cool so and they're a lot of fun yeah so this is the last paragraph but where i itty now oh my brothers is all on my adinaki where you cannot go i am not reading this in mancunian accent we're gonna get our friend claren to do that she won't um <laughs> Tomorrow is all like sweet flowers and the turning body earth and the stars and the old Luna up there and your old Drew Galax all in his Adinaki seeking like a mate and all that cal. A terrible Grajnivani world really, oh my brothers. And so farewell from your little Droog and to all others in the story, profound shooms of lip music. And they can kiss my sharis. But you, oh my brothers, remember sometimes thy little Alex that was. Amen. And all that cal. Oh, man, my dude, you could have written a good book and you just didn't. <laughs> you I know. Like, oh, uh, like there's so there is so much potential here. Again, like if it was if I didn't think that it would make me substantially less mad than it does. Oh, if it weren't the like really, really well written at the level of the language. Yes. And, and, and yeah. And I, and the, the whole thing with the, the Ludovico treatment, like that, that actually does stage some really interesting questions about the carceral state, oh. about psychology. Yes. And it just, it just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, I, I'll talk about this in a minute, but like its interest in subculture is actually like only captured in a couple other books. It's like not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's this is like a gap in the literature for sure that people like, you know, it's what are we all going to watch Quadrophenia? Like that's not <laughs> there's just not enough. I'm sure you both have heard of that movie. I never in my life. <laughs> we're going to we're going to cut that and pretend that we have. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. <sighs> you both have self-awareness as knowers of things. Uh, it has sting in it. Yeah, cool. And a sting is in sting who can fuck for ninety hundred hours. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, then that's all I need to know. I, I mean, that like, <laughs> I have used it has sting in it to sell people on that crazy David Lynch uh, version of Dune. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's based on that fucking The Who, The Rock. Oh, never mind. Okay. The Who? Never heard of him. <laughs> oh my god. We're gonna do Who's on first. <laughs> the who's on first <laughs> okay yeah That's all right fine. uh do you want me to do the context yep it's yeah. a it's a two-parter but not a two-part episode because that would be too much <laughs> <laughs> it's my turn to do a two-parter next season motherfuckers look out let's make it an eight-parter yeah it's great i could do it all day Two part episodes. You could just—it's all—it's a whole show that we just do long books. <laughs> yeah, man, are you guys gonna love an American tragedy? It's a tragedy to read, and that's it. I'll—I'll I'll read that. Just watch. There's a movie called The Place in the Sun. Has Montgomery Clift. Watch that instead. Uh, okay, so like two parts to the context here. A little bit about Burgess 
and what a fucking ass he was. And then some of the stuff I mentioned before, which is this conversation about subculture and like the youth or whatever. So like Antony Burgess mm-hmm, was a British novelist. He was all he wrote like four billion books. He was also like a poet and a playwright. Uh, an essayist, a screenwriter, who was a translator. He translated Don Quixote for some reason, like mm-hmm. everyone and their mom thinks <laughs> they deserve to do. <laughs> but he was truly the worst thing of all, which is a professional literary critic. Um, okay, so that's like actually the second worst thing that anybody can do. The first is that he was a linguist. <laughs> oh, <no>. <sighs> Just lost some subscribers right there. He had extremely terrible politics. He was a Tory. Although he says in this interview with the Paris Review, which I'm going to talk about throughout this, like his political views could be considered, quote, a kind of anarchism because his ideal of a Catholic Jacobite imperial monarch could not be realized. Yeah, those th- that's uh, not a thing. That's, no, I know it's not. I'm, no, I'm a, I'm doing Mormon Green Party, and I'm yeah. putting them together <laughs> in a way that I refuse to elaborate upon. Right, You're, this is what I'm doing. It's, it's, yeah, only I'm an anarchist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mormon Green Party. Uh, yeah. So, and then he says, like, because the interviewer this is 73, I think asks him like but weren't you a marxist in undergrad like everybody um (laughs) and he was like i was never a marxist though i was always even as an undergraduate ready to play the marxist game (laughs) analyzing shakespeare and marxist terms and so on i always loved dialectical materialism (laughs) but it was a structuralist love from the start to take socialism seriously as opposed to minimal socialization what america needs so desperately is ridiculous yeah, and also when I hear a claim like that made in the you know early 1970s in the wake of you know the civil rights movement and, and yeah. the anti-war movement, it's like what you, you want to follow that through, bud? You want to you want to yeah. like tease out some of your stuff there? Yeah. Also, uh, that you could do dialectical materialism and divorce it from materialism. <sighs> Just fuck this guy. Like material <laughs> conditions, like what? You can't. It's it's in the name. It's yeah. in the name. It's and it's in the, in the dialectic. And act, no, totally. It's in the dialectic. I, you know, I'm just like, I recently read Hegel. So I'm like, I guess you can do dialectic and be dumb about it. But <laughs> not in the way we use dialectical materialism. But, <laughs> no, no. But this shit about to take socialism seriously as opposed to minimal socialization. Your context helps me understand that he doesn't go any farther than what the word sounds like. He says, <laughs> right. I don't like socialism, but I do like something. And what I'll say is a word that sounds, sounds like same. it. And yeah. Everyone will think I know stuff. Uh, it sound, sounds like a linguist, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the, the Nazis were national socialists. There's no reason you can't just flip <laughs> words around. Well, I mean, Ted Cruz would certainly agree with that. <laughs> He's the worst person on earth. Okay. Also, he did this. Other, he did lots of stuff that was truly repulsive. But one of them was that to avoid, he had he his wife inherited all this money, and so to avoid the ninety percent tax that they would have been subject to, they left Britain and toured Europe in a motorhome. <laughs> and obviously, like motorhomes are fine, but being too rich is bad. 
This motherfucker is a UKIP voter if he's like alive today. Oh, like, for sure. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, like, not all of this, but most of it is coming from this Paris Review article, um, interview. And um, he has dazzlingly stupid opinions about <laughs> Ulysses. Uh, you, whatever. Because he's a linguist. And so everything has to be read that way. And also, he's <laughs> he's mad about the Molly section, which, of course, is unconditionally the best part of that novel. Yeah. Um, although I love the first chapter. doesn't matter. He's mad at the Molly section because a nice Spanish lady wouldn't talk like a Dublin fishwife. So if you didn't know, the Mimesis cops are here <laughs> to talk about James jo- Joyce. Yeah. I have a few questions for you. I like it when literary critics can't read shit. <laughs> they're really bad they can literally read the words and as linguists that's mm. all that matters yeah in general he has like a lot of very like mid-century overfed paris review opinions he says like art is sublimated libido you can't be a eunuch priest and you can't be a eunuch artist oh please <laughs> well, give me a break i know it's the stupidest fucking thing i ever heard He's like, I fuck, I fuck, Every, any, everyone, announcement, I have an announcement, I fuck. It's just this, like, it's just this moment in literary criticism where you're either, like, the most awesome Raymond Williams person in the whole world, mm-hmm. or you have yeah. to be an absolute shithead who thinks that books are only inside of books with yeah. no context for their production, and you're just, like, sitting there eating grouse and being a shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So he sucks. And like bad admission, but like he in so I was reading this review and he and I like all the same stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so embarrassing. Cause he talks about like Nabokov the uh, his novel Ada, which is like seven hundred pages long, and Thomas Mann, who also wrote a seven hundred page novel called The Magic Mountain, read it. James Joyce, he likes Flaubert a lot and he says that Ellison would be great if he would write more and I cried <laughs> um, so he has like mo- he shares a very like modernist sensibility and I'm not I mean like um, friend of the pod Amanda Davis who's responsible for a lot of the things I said got really mad at me for my like petty conservative tastes her words um <laughs> and i might never forgive her oh <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean you know again i like liking what you like aesthetically is fine what i really object to is being a big dumbass about it which you know totally. from what no, you I told agree. me and from what i read here but, yeah uh, it's different he just likes stuff that are that is like quote good within a certain aesthetic framework like i i'm not overblowing that those things are actually like good right just that there's a set of people who like them and those people are there are people who think that they're like arbiters of taste who like those things and i don't include myself see you at the faculty dinner party (laughs) are we going to talk about the tale of the tub (laughs) (laughs) we're we're serving duck (laughs) oh he did like stern which is another one of those like empirically good things yeah yeah um okay so, okay, so now to something that you will actually enjoy, which is, I think, um, just a little bit about 
the sort of um, discourse around subculture, which I think is really interesting with this novel. And I think possibly, Tristan, this will help with understanding like why people like it, mm-hmm. which okay. is that um, it does this thing with subculture and people like seeing that. There's not much interesting stuff about subcultures. And so what I'm going to say is coming from this book by Dick Hebdige, and it's called Subculture, The Meaning of Style. It is extremely good. Hebdige was trained by Stuart Hall. Stuart Hall is the greatest human to have ever lived. I think this is indisputable. I mean, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's so important, I think, to the three of us in terms of like Marxist criticism, cultural studies, like we would not have this podcast without him. And I'm sorry to be serious, but it's true. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. So we know that like Burgess thought a lot, like had seen this fight, (laughs) this like mods versus rockers thing, um, which was a real thing. And Burgess said it was just a bunch of aggression for its own sake. I foresaw that the queen's peace was to be greatly disrupted by this aimless energy of the new young. (laughs) It's the douchiest sentence. I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) Protect the queen's peace. Protect the queen's peace at all costs. I can't say any of the things I want to say because I'll be (laughs) killed. Because the youth will come for you. The queen will come for me. The queen will come for you. I'm scared of the youth. (laughs) I'm scared of the queen. Yeah, she's like totally leaving her her tower to come get you. (laughs) Uh, Also, I think we all know that the queen of England is mostly responsible for peace, right? Oh yeah, no. I was just going to say, speaking, the British monarch aggression for its own sake doesn't sound at all like the British Empire, or the British monarchy. Yeah, hmm, that seems that tracks. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Needless to say, Dick Hebdige's take on this is much smarter than Anthony Burgess's. Um, he argues that st- subcultures are the result of structural inequality. You don't say. You don't say, <laughs> right? To be fair, this book is from a long time ago, and so this is the kind of thing that seems obvious to us now but wasn't no yeah i that you don't say wasn't a knock on that it was a that yes of course like y- yes yes agreed and glad somebody said it totally no it's like reading some of that like marxist criticism from the 60s and 70s and being like doesn't everybody know this and the answer is no yeah right right a student asked me recently she's wonderful I, this is i'm not talking shit but she said why is capital so long the capital v1 which is like 40,000 pages and I was like imagine you're trying to describe a physical social psychological institutional like the phenomenon of our very lives and you're the first guy to do it (laughs) (laughs) you have to talk about everything you don't have a choice so he okay so Hedge says that subculture is the result of structural inequality he points to the post-war era in Britain as an exemplary moment that's a case he uses so he says this is a quote the emergence of such groups has signaled in a spectacular fashion the breakdown of consensus in the post-war period. However, the challenge to hegemony, which subcultures represent, is not issued directly by them. Rather, it is expressed obliquely in style. He says this is cut through by class. Style in subculture is then pregnant with significance. Its transformations go, quote, against 
nature, interrupting the process of, quote, normalization. As such, they're gestures, movements toward a speech which offends the silent majority, which challenge the principle of unity and cohesion and contradicts the myth of consensus. Um, again, I think this is like just bad, like way yeah. better and helpful and orienting for me. Yeah. Yeah. And if it were if this book had been written with someone who had some, you know, sense of or interest in that, it would have been good, I'm it would sure. Have been good, yeah. For sure. <laughs> um and yeah. like this I I got hung up and ended up thinking a lot about this phrase, the myth of consensus. It's the opposite, I think, of what Burgess means. Like Burgess just thinks like there's a moral consensus, right? Mm. Like being a good being a good boy is being a good boy. Like it's right. contentless. Yeah. But I think like what Hebdige means is something quite different. Like he doesn't say the liberal consensus, but I think that's kind of what he means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. that it's not actually a consensus. It's a, it's this thing that like, I think it was Theresa May who like when people started saying socialism out loud, she was like, but the liberal consensus. And it was like, it was never a fucking consensus, you moron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that when we talk about well burgess seems to want alex to become a good boy or for people to all be good boys as you said but the content is almost entirely negative like don't beat people to death don't run around knifing everyone all we get is that goofy ass end chapter where it's sort of implied that the goodest good boy gets married, mm-hmm. but ah! sorry. No. <laughs> but apart from that, we don't have any content of anything. It's just yeah, because choice, true. because choice and and abstract freedom are the only things he seems to give a fuck about in the positive, which are which are largely contentless. And then, yeah, a hundred percent, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. It's not what he thinks of subcultures as being is just like anti-status quo, and that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. 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 It's like empty. Burgess is actually really good with these signifiers. Like he knows how to dress his characters in a cool way. He knows how to mm-hmm. do this language. Like he kind of nails that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have any signified. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, totally. And that's like where this completely can't line up with like the smart thinking about subcultures but is i think why people like that movie is because there's like this mod thing to it it's aesthetic it's like an aesthetic connection which is not like awesome but it is like that's why people like it or dress like that for halloween Mm -hmm. yeah okay so yeah well no i mean i'm i'm that that is helpful uh it also it helps me sort of figure out what the novel might think it's doing in terms of like what what violence signifies and i want to say that like okay the fact that alex doesn't really have much in the way of psychology at all and is just kind of like id structure like you know is i mean so like i mean this is going to be a, a weird comparison but i'll tell you where, where i'm going with it um we talked about in 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 like native son for instance how bigger thomas also doesn't have a lot of the novelistic structures around character the difference of course is that um is that Wright is making a really sort of penetrating claim about like what material conditions can produce around like the impossibility of like the liberal oh, subject the whole undergirding of that book <laughs> yes. right like yes okay i'm only going to interrupt because i just thought of something interesting send mm-hmm. us emails about it i wonder if the movie is better 
because Mm -hmm. an actor can fill out a character with interiority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that the performance is much more interesting than the way the character is written. I think you are. Mm-hmm. I think you are a hundred percent right. Yeah, like that, that. In some way, I mean, it's probably partially the director and the screenwriters, but also Malcolm McDowell is sort of giving something to this uh, word object that that Burgess doesn't have. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's like I mean, okay, so like, like yeah, like violence is just this like this sort of like kind of id like uh, you know the old, the you the kids these days rejection of um, of the status you know like of, of the consent and the status quo that doesn't all we need is more super ego and our social will be totally fine yeah exactly <laughs> and and it, wa- and it basically wants to use that as saying like we'll see how destructive it is when you reject consensus and it's like okay dude i mean you know but there's but, no consensus to start with like starting no. in that position just says like just you're starting on a fallacy yeah no totally, totally. and so what it's like it has all these different i think like there's state violence which is much more interesting, right? Like the cops are brutal and horrible, but mm-hmm. like that's the only thing that I can even approach making a structural critique. Yeah. Yeah. I well, yeah, I mean and they're they're just like <sighs> The the like protagonist and like his droogs are just like so fucking debased that like it it I mean it 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 exceeds my capacity to give a shit if that makes sense you know oh, it's yeah, just for sure because it's it's yeah. like in every fucking scene I mean including like the most disturbing ones like I almost got the sense of like Burgess just in there's like what's the most fucked up stuff I could have him do now and it's like this isn't compa- I mean because like this doesn't track as in any way like human and like and by that I don't yeah. mean like oh that he has like a human sub. You know, sensibility or something like that. I just mean like, there's like no fucking like even like okay, pure id. There is no fucking explanation for some of this stuff. You know, like right. If it were pure id, it would at least have like a motivation. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Is that he's trying to write a novel that's using all of these behaviorist techniques about like motivation, but without a basic grasp of the concept of motivation. Yeah. 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 Because As if he seems to think that that like however we. Like, this is blunt, but the other, as represented by, like, working class kid in this context, is just, like, a flat surface Mm. of, like, brainlessness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just wholly impulsive violence that's sometimes interrupted by these strange Robin Hood moments, but that are also in part sometimes to cover up their crimes. Mm -hmm. So, and often the Robin Hood-esque moments are just to underscore the point that they've done this for no reason. They'll walk away from a robbery with no money. Right. They'll beat the shit out of someone and then just toss the money because they don't give a fuck about it. All they cared about was making like blood flow or whatever for reasons that I don't fully, I didn't fully understand. What I also didn't fully understand was In this world where presumably they're riding around train cars, shitting in them, ripping them up, doing whatever, Mm -hmm. completely just fully abandoned to violence, why does anyone walk around and engage with them if this is supposedly rampant enough to be a social problem? Oh, yeah. Like if it's about the kids these days, capital letters – then why is anybody in the streets? Yes. But this also links 
to me part of like what I like another thing that I think is fucking weird about this is like uh the the, the world creation question too, right? Like so when we've done speculative fiction on the show before in science fiction, one thing that we've said, as like most critics of sci-fi stuff will say these days, is that uh, you turn to speculative fiction because it really does enable a kind of world imagining that really lets you stage and front the question of structure because it lets you kind of play with like whatever structures you want, um, you know, and imagine. So what does the human look like under these conditions? I find it so fucking weird that this is is like sort of science fiction because like one, the world it imagines is completely incoherent. And the way that that like connects to like this question of like what, like the, the kind of like fallen youth subculture, I just, I don't know what the fuck it's doing. You know, well, The only ways he built it in an interesting way are with the, like the treatment and yeah. with the language. And those are simply not enough to fill out a world. No. Well, and, and So in between the treatment and the language, we also have the prison, which is marked by violence, but, he goes on to say things like, everyone's getting their head kicked in constantly, but then when someone dies, it's the silent day at the prison, as if this has never happened before. This is a new thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, like, so I went, cause I, like, I was, I don't know, like by 10 pages into this novel, I was like really starting to fucking scratch my head and like underline anything that would, would help me get some purchase on this. And so like, so like one question I made me throw out there, like, and you know, knowing, to, you know, kind of the biographical fallacy thing, but a little bit about uh, Burgess's politics, right? Like, so on 35 in my edition, I don't know if we have the same edition. This is chapter three of the first part. It's the first time he goes to his, his parents flat uh and so we get him walking home and he he, he describes this uh oh my brothers and and so in in the hallway was the good old municipal painting on the walls vex and pititsas very well developed stern in the dignity of labor at workbench and machine with not one stitch of platies on their well-developed plots but of course some of the malchicks living in 18a had as was to be expected embellished and decorated the said big painting with handy pencil and ballpoint adding hair and stiff rods and dirty ballooning slovos out of the dignified rots of these nagoy bear that is chinas and vex right so like okay so there's this there's this like kind of almost like soviet realist sort of like labor painting <laughs> yeah, yeah. but th- but then that's just you know so it's like okay so wait was there some sort of like socialist revolution that that's but but that doesn't track with that i mean there, we obviously have capitalism operating in this society like you, right. you know so and, and, yeah and, and then there's like that what the, when uh they're talking about like the language like one of the prison doctors is like oh yeah a lot of it comes from like you know like russian russian and it's just like, okay, what I don't what? Like, is this some Cold War right. paranoia? But I don't think it's well well enough thought through for it to be that either, you know. Well, like but. Soviet thinking has like ble- breezed through and then like been put down or whatever, because like the people in government are obviously like not, you know, he doesn't actually seem to be thinking that it's like a, it, this isn't the version of stupid critique that's just like red baiting because the government is, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's not that or, it's or, not doing that. Or it's like a world in which, like, you know, communism was even possible is already a world that's like fallen or some shit. But I mean, again, I think that this is like, this is like trying to be more coherent than the novel actually is, you know? Right. Yeah, I I agree. His main point is that we had some kind of communism and it was so bad that everyone drew boners everywhere and dads were afraid of their own sons like yeah. this seems to be the this seems to be the extent of the 
the critique that I can locate. I mean, yeah, yeah because Flaubert wouldn't obviously draw boners everywhere or whoever the fuck he thinks. <laughs> no, Burgess he would never. He's the best writer. Like, dude, fuck you. Like, <laughs> the, I, I think that it's an important part of my anarchist principles that we all be able to draw boners wherever we want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I agree. I mean, yeah. Katie, you're clearly the first in line for this. Y- yes. <laughs> and he, I mean, Jesus, it's fucking broken. It's fucking broken windows theory. Like, you know, oh, it's yeah. like, oh absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you draw dongs on the mural and next thing you know, you're, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be murdering and raping all over the place. And it, it's like, or like, yeah. Okay. And the elevators okay. won't yeah. work. <laughs> Right. Sorry, sorry. I I bought another. I bought another one now. Right, like that. Uh, like, oh, that. Th- I don't think that. I don't think this novel fucking distinguishes between like something as like the violent as rape and fucking up the subway seats. Like, I almost think that this novel wants to say that those are the same fucking thing. You know, like. I mean, I don't disagree. I think that the like rehabilitated version of him is not just not not a rapist. It's like it's it's like don't. Bring your felt-tip pens with you on the subway. Yeah. Yeah. But it's – oh, sorry. This is, like, going in a slightly different direction. But, like, this is also speaking to the issue of, like, oh, I guess it, like, really fucks up the prison chaplain that, like, it's not that his rehabilitation through force is good. It's that he has to be – he has to learn enough to mm-hmm. choose not to do that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right. But – Oh, this is what I simply do not, I don't have a thought about it, but it's very funny that his choice is the most ultra conventional thing. It's not as if he's come up with the idea of settling down and getting married as an original, uh, like, what does it mean when your choice is to entirely blend into just what a... I don't know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. normal adulthood because, looks like. Because there's a hysterically funny version of that ending, right? Where somebody yeah. chooses or like gets the most conventional thing and that's like fucked and devastating. Like that mm-hmm. is a version of the ending of Rosemary's Baby where we rehabilitate the nuclear family around yes. Satan. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, that's not actually rehabilitating it at all. It's just like, there is a version of saying like, oh, nuclear family that's like, completely about how it's fucked. And there's no thought here that there would be an ending that is interesting. No. Although, I will say that the ending is a little bit funny. The way that it, he doesn't mean it to be. Yeah, no, right. I, it's, yeah, because it's so dumb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and particularly, I don't know. It's like I, you know, I and, and yeah, Megan's right. Never read a writer on their own stuff, but I read the introduction. And I'm, I'm already fucking hot, man. You know, like yeah, like, for sure. So I am primed to dunk on this ending, and then I get to. I actually did laugh out loud when I got to that 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 final bit, but. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, well, right. No, and and I and and so like the 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 stuff that we flagged, I think rightly, is the more I um, the more um, interesting political critique where it does open up, like you know, kind of state violence and like that the cops suck, which is great. I mean, that is yeah, the, the those parts were great. But he like, says the cops suck in such small portions, though. You know, like yeah, that's yeah, his yeah, point. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, right. And I mean, and also like the fact that like the protagonist is such an utter piece of shit. I mean, we can't even call him that because he's not he like there's not enough reality there. You know what I right, mean? He's but a like narrator. Yeah. And not a protagonist. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That the narrator yeah, is such yeah. a fucking piece of shit that like, um, you know, that it, it's hard to like, you know, it, you can't really like, you know, you don't you don't want to ever sympathize with cops like beating someone up, but you can't give enough of a shit about this, like this thing, <laughs> this like word object thing to care. Right. But like, it is that like, uh, well, the cops are also like kind of their motivations are like fucking impenetrable and they're just, you know. Although I appreciate the minister of the inferior. That is like one moment that I actually think is legitimately funny and intends to be funny. Yeah. 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 Well, no. And I mean, and and that I think that also goes to the kind of language games, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute that are really compelling. But but what I was going to say was like, I think that the state like so like a smart version of this would be like the sort of collab of like the possibilities of the individual as growing out of like something like the structure of the state and the the economy and all these things in but i think that this fucker absolutely reverses that that like the state is corrupted because the individual is corrupted because oh kids these days you know having their fucking you know rainbow parties and shit they put on their they put on their fancy jackets and their fucking cravats and they go knifing around town listening yeah. to oh, Ludwig I- van Beethoven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I put on my fanciest cravat, there's no telling what I'll do after that. <laughs> it's the sex in the city. It's the lemon party again. This is going <laughs> to haunt me. I, I still Hang can. On. Shall we do the rest like this? <laughs> that show is not good. It's I know, but <laughs> it's so these Uh-oh. fucking things. <laughs> theme song oh boy yeah well okay sorry so we've talked about this a lot do you do you guys want to turn to the language stuff for for a little bit and and we can talk about the good part i mean that is what i think i liked about it as a teenager which is like not as a person who had like a i mean i could only grok like really obvious politics and things which is not like that's fine like you don't do you really expect a 16 year old reader to be like oh i really got all the (laughs) <laughs> no, no. All the, the politicals, you know, I was smart enough to know what Snowpiercer was about. I would, I wasn't fifteen when that came out, but yeah, I would have got that <laughs> shit. No, I was a real, I was a real dumb reader when I was sixteen. There's no question. Um, but well, right, and but so okay, like one, I do, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, there are parts of this that are just fun to read, specifically because of that. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was it, at times it was a little maddening, like go, you know, go back and forth to a glossary. But at other times, it's like there's a cool, I mean, almost kind of poetic cadence to this, which is really interesting. So yeah, what what is it doing in here? Um, I mean, it does give the violence a certain shine like it does give it an aesthetics yeah Mm -hmm. even especially the super violent parts and that's weird because you know we're we're the kind of readers who are now quite attentive to that right like what does aestheticized violence mean and again like there are versions of that in other works that are interesting and critical and like aren't you or you know this is like too blunt but it's it's like there are versions where you watching it is what incriminates you is that the word i'm looking for oh you're implicated implicated thank you is that like for having watched it or read it you are implicated right Mm -hmm. or for finding it aesthetic that's where you're implicated too like the classic example of this is lolita right oh yeah right 
And that and that book is obviously like having too getting too much pleasure from its style too. But like that is something you can do. And here there's no content to it, but it does like make you have a different relationship to it for being aestheticized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, absent it, I almost think the book's unreadable because it's just like- a, a, It's a, like a, not a plot, like Katie no. was saying. It's just like a clunk fest. Yeah. And and it would and a description of such extreme acts of violence, you know, ultra violence and crime that it's just like, I mean, it's it's just like fucking snuff kind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, but, right. but, but you add that aesthetization and then it becomes, yeah, no, I think that's right. It, 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 it makes it something that you can read, but then, okay. But then that, what is that saying about you as the reader? Although ultimately like, what the fuck is that saying about the author that's, that's pulling this shit? You know? But it's like, another thing that like demands <laughs> that this is the reason the three of us are banging our fucking heads against a wall because our, Overtrained brains are like if you're doing aestheticized violence, it must be interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, right. like it, yeah, right. It, it, like it can't be as just fucking like meaningless as it seems on the surface. What am I missing? And then you know, um, he does he does have this strange puritanical explanation for the language game, which, which is, is just that ki- he- it's just kitties, the, ch- <laughs> which, the children. Well- well, he basically says in the intro, and Tristan, I think that you and I read the same intro, and that he says basically oh, yeah, that I read he it didn't. Too. Yeah. You, so the, is the, this is just the one intro? I I yeah. presume I. But he says that he doesn't want to get too excited writing it. So and <clears throat> and then that, and oh, then that reading it yeah. would be too exciting. And he basically exactly fucking follows Jonathan Edwards' logic where you can't say <laughs> too much about sin or else you'll pollute you'll the minds sin. of the reader. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and the other thing too is like I mean so any that kind of claim about like individual agency at the liberal subject it's like when you go too far down the road he's going like you get to like this kind of uh, universalist position that basically people you know I mean oh totally man That's is fallen his, his aim here yeah. But right, but that again makes the whole fucking speculative fiction, like dystopian world creation element, so fucking interesting. Because like, dude, you're not making a fucking structural claim. Why are you pretending that you're making a structural claim? You know. Well, he's but. trying to make like a universal, or like when I say philosophical, I don't mean really. I don't mean that. I mean yeah. like he probably conceives of it as like a philosophical. It's like a philosophical yeah. claim, which is like yeah. at least as stupid. As just being like, this book doesn't mean anything. I will yeah. say, though, that it makes some moments funnier than they deserve to be. So the mm-hmm. moment where they break into the woman's house and it's full of cats and he calls them cots and kotchkes is like <laughs> funny every time he says those words. Yeah. Well, that then also all of the parents' money, right, has to go to support the cats. Yes. That's why they have to take in the border. Yes, because the yeah. parents have to give her all – because the woman has died and she has all these cats, so they have to have paid for the cats. Mm-hmm. So there are yeah. moments where you're like, oh, that's actually like a good joke, but it's not in the service of anything. It does look, and I think via, this was something that you, I said in our notes before the show, right, Megan? Like, the, uh, like it's not satire. It looks like it like it looks like it has yes. the form of satire yes. at moments, but like. But you have to be satirizing something. 
yes and does it know it's not satire <laughs> you know like uh, <laughs> but anyway i mean so. the lesson that i'm learning here is that i just need to go back and watch the three penny opera or read <laughs> the beggar's opera which yeah. is like about violence yeah. and funny and brecht and good yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. So just don't, I mean, the movie Clockwork Orange is good, though. It is. Yeah, it is. But again, I think it's because like an actor fills in a character with a version of covered up interiority. And there's the version of this that's aestheticized with the language that like lends itself well to film. No, you're right. And I mean, I'm even thinking of that. And again, I mean, that that movie is if you haven't seen it quite intense, like, so I mean, know know that before you get into it. But but even that. Oh, yeah, it's like, no, it's it's not solo, but you do have to steal yourself for it. You do, uh, and that it, yeah, like that, like oh, it die, which is Alex and my three droogs, right? It like it, it is, it's it's cool looking, and it sounds, I mean, particularly with Malcolm McDowell's uh, the the, the Mancunian accent that he's doing uh, with it, um, and it's also like funny too, right? For but sure, it's like, yeah. We have actors doing this. We have a film that is giving some uh, some depth to what is not at all deep when it's on the page, you know? right? And being able to like. Hear the Beethoven like off yeah. the page this yeah. if even if it's politics are incoherent which they are yeah. actually realizes something aesthetic where you're like well that annoys me that his politics are incoherent but it's interesting to experience yeah. yeah yeah absolutely okay so that was interesting good discussion but um so Katie what uh what little game are we playing today we are playing. If this is about Sex in the City, I'm done. I am not doing that. <laughs> it is not about Sex in the City because we've done that before. Oh, have we? I've locked it out. Yes. <laughs> and you're being a real um, Charlotte about it. <laughs> I couldn't think of any. No, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Miranda, really. Well, yeah, because she's a socialist. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my way of saying i like cynthia nixon <laughs> yeah cynthia nixon is great yeah. no i wouldn't i wouldn't start a com up an open combat situation on the pod by doing a which character in sex in the city are you quiz at this moment <laughs> i think that what we should do right now is put the bunch of youth we've met in a uh, clockwork orange uh, we put them we put them in an orange to orange face off against other things that uh, old farts worry about so cool yeah we're gonna see who who you think would come out on top in a series of contests so first the year is 2016 the place is allegedly greenville South Carolina. The combatant is clowns. That's right, clowns. Apparently, people were dressing up as clowns to freak people out. And oh, right. It didn't. You remember the great clown panic of 2016? I mean, I thought it was great. I was like very proud that someone had been freaking people out with clowns (laughs) on purpose. So apparently several things happened here. There uh, were some clown costume bannings. There were there were notices posted about in various various enclaves around the United States that 
say, well, there was one in West Virginia that said, um, if you're wearing clown costume, people are going to kick the shit out of you before you get arrested. So just don't do don't do it. Just don't do it. <laughs> we'll treat you worse. People- it's, that's some vigilante anti clown justice. Anti clown justice. Yes. In this made its way all the way to Seattle, home of our favorite Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> where, where, we're, yes, we're children. We're told to report any clowns that they they encountered. So, at any rate, we got Alex and his droogs, and mm-hmm. we have a band of motivationless and possibly fictional clowns, mm-hmm. and they get into a tussle. Who comes out on top? Well, is it the clowns or the droogs? So well, these are the, the droogs have weapons, and the droogs have weapons. The clowns I, might. I, well, here's my question. So we are we are affirmed that this is that 2016 like clown scare, and that these are not the formidable army of juggalos fresh from their oh, gathering. Who are <laughs> we support oh, yeah. juggalo brethren? And yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. So uh, well, okay. not, I'm not saying that in jest. <clears throat> no, I, I would never besmirch the name of Juggalos and Juggalettes. No, no, these are different. Yeah. These are these are just yes. Clowns. I, I would not besmirch the Ninja Army. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I well, yeah, if it's a 2016 class, I, I think the Droogs win. I, I agree with Megan. That's kind of a that's that's a no brainer to me. But also, I think people dressed in clown suits are really likely to be drunk. That's true. That's true. I mean, or clowns, or just actual clowns, or just actual, like, which still drunk. I, I don't have the clown. <laughs> I don't have the clown uh, uh, phobia that some people do, but I will say I fucking understand the clown phobia. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've seen it. As, okay. Uh, so you're- Tristan has said about Stephen King, he can't write an ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, fir- the, the first middle, of the two part movies is good. Uh, <laughs> Bad tracks. So we've we've got clowns. So so the clowns unfortunately have been bested by the droogs. So let's try another one. The year is recently. Everyone's eating Tide Pods, smoking Tide Pods, mm-hmm. drinking Tide Pods, mm-hmm. boofing Tide Pods, spoofing Tide Pods, yep. fucking Tide Pods, sucking Tide Pods. Mm-hmm. If you put a big bowl of Tide Pods out before Alex and his droogs, who will emerge victorious? The pods or the youths? Pods. Mm-hmm. They're going to eat all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, and unlike uh, milk infused with various psychedelics and other drugs, uh, the Tide Pods are just toxic. Full of lie and shit. Uh, but but I, I tell you, I don't know about uh, you guys, but as a, as a, as a, fucking 39 year old millennial i am sure glad i didn't fall for the tide pod craze as apparently millennials do as any boomer <laughs> facebook idiot will tell you uh Christ. right like that was a that was a real plague uh besetting us 30 somethings <laughs> <laughs> i will also know that like tide pods have a i don't know tristan if you know if you've seen it but like they have a child proof yeah, <laughs> a, like lid or something. Yeah, yeah but they yeah. are definitely easier to get into than the perfectly legal weed gummies that I have that are <laughs> fucking impossible to open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I- so you two are two for two. Correct. There oh. are correct answers to this, okay. by the way. Oh, okay. okay. So you're correct. Here's your third scenario. 
the year is the early 2000s. You're minding your own business, watching the Oprah Winfrey show. It's a segment about, oh, I don't know, some kind of parties kids are having. When suddenly- Tristan and I are in college, so we don't watch uh, (laughs) that kind of thing. (laughs) Okay. Well, you guys are cool kids. You're you're neat. You're doing everything. I'm a child, and I'm watching Oprah, and- um, and and suddenly there's a knock at the door. And what happens is teens stream into the into your living room. Oh no. And they start having a rainbow party. <laughs> oh no, what is that? Oh dear. <laughs> oh no. Okay, well, it, well okay. Oh, shit, I thought you knew what a rainbow part. Okay, so if it makes you feel better, no. When I explain it to you, you're going to know immediately that it never happened and isn't yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. also have Megan. How do I? How do I know this stuff? I don't know. Do. I am not. I am terribly online. This is I not like, like a, cultural I neglect like on my part. Uh, Katie, why don't I you mean, tell Megan? Ed? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Here's what a rainbow party is. Well. Everyone gets a different lipstick color. You know, like they they come in a rainbow, as people who have interacted with lipstick know. (laughs) So what happens is then everyone who has put on the lipstick sucks one dick. And it leaves – okay, and allegedly it leaves a ring of – lipsticks that make a rainbow which doesn't make any sense yeah no that's like an utterly made up yeah i yeah i mean i i do i i don't know if i heard of this like right when oprah was doing it or a few years later but it is one of those things it's like this is such of a dumb moral panic i can't you know it's like it's almost too dumb to even make fun of you know but oh yeah it's like it's really so blatantly made up yeah Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's also like the hookup culture that children are having yeah. Oh, yeah. fucking yeah. with each other and that's yeah. going to kill them. Yeah. They all kiss the same penis and put a <laughs> rainbow on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But, but anyway, in order to disperse the rainbow party, you call in Alex and his droogs. No, you don't. They come in through an open window, of course, obviously. Yeah. And the, an open combat begins. Yeah. <laughs> Who emerges victorious? How many youths of the other of the Rainbow Party varietal are there? Roy G. Biff and Method <laughs> Dick. Uh, I mean, they're yeah, like I, I'm I'm going with the 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 non droog youths because I they're 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 outnumbered and uh, you know I mean since none of this ever happened I feel like we can imagine them. Ha- hey, they they got weapons at this Rainbow Party, you know. I'm gonna go with the droogs because Dim has that length of chain. He does. That's true. And it's going to hit a bunch of people right in the dong, (laughs) knocking them to the floor. (laughs) Well, here's the part that I just made up because it's all fake. (laughs) The rainbow partiers are able to summon a large phallus bigger than Godzilla, Mm -hmm. and it has special powers and so it emerged from a portal to another universe and so by the means of of mega dick they're (laughs) able to defeat the droogs oh that's actually rainbow right yes that's a yes yes it's a it's a rainbow colored (laughs) dawn and it just drops from the sky much as in the the helmet in the castle of toronto except it's a massive dick that squashes people okay 
Nailed it. Cool. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, I had one more. It's Tipper Gore, but let's just skip it. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Parental advisory. So we had three combat scenarios, and I think that the true winners are the two of you. Well, as long as they're <laughs> not actually, the because I feel like that would be bad. No, they're not. We're, we're No, we have Mega Dick. Why would they? We don't need to be afraid. Yeah, that's true. I'm just looking on goodvibrations.com to see if there's such a thing as a rainbow dildo. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah. There's yeah. kinds. There's many kinds and a rainbow butt plug. Yeah, how, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, that that does not surprise me in the slightest, but uh, obviously this, this moral panic never occurred. <laughs> well, I feel like this sort of rehabilitates the rainbow D now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, then this, then this story has a happy ending. That's right. All in all. (sighs) Okay. This has been Better Ed Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywell. You can find me on Twitter at Tussersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if it's all in Ned's head, oh, my brothers. Our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review us and subscribe. We still have cool stuff for you. It's great. Help me get this out of my office. (laughs) (laughs) And next week we have a passage to India and we have Haruki Murakami's Sputnik Sweetheart on deck. So thanks, comrades. (laughs) 